I'm James Andronica, and you're listening to The World Is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about you. You had your whole life to prepare for this moment. Why aren't you ready? I'm tired. Do you wish to quit? I'm sick. If your mission is to quit, there's no better time than right now. I just tested positive for COVID. You can quit now. Get it over with. I don't know. I understand. Turn off the recording and we can stop. Forget that. We're doing Spartan. (laughs) Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive, and in this case, an extremely positive podcast (laughs) where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and I am Andras COVID-19 Jones. (laughs) And I'm the other host, Brian, not COVID at the moment, Connolly. And today, yeah, we're here to talk about David Mamet's Spartan. Last week, we talked about Red Belt. This isn't turning into a David Mamet podcast. We could. I'd love to do a David Mamet podcast. But <laughs> we're just, we had two. And then we're going to be delving into the world of Val Kilmer because he's yeah. great in this. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just very excited. I'm also yeah. uh, a little tired, a little, little, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm, I think I'm going to live. I'm, I'm betting on, I'm betting on me to survive, but you know, you never know. This could be it. Um, so uh, why don't we play a clip from this movie and then talk about it? Yes. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. time is it? What do you care? I fucked up. Hey, you wanna... You want some more dope? Wanna Dr. Pepper? I'll try to help. Yeah, well... That's usually when people do fuck up. Listen. You're gonna take that fight to bed with you for a long time. You don't gotta do it all now. Where's the girl? You gotta get the girl back. I saw the sign. What? I saw the sign. Then you are truly blessed. Spartan from 2004 was written and directed by David Mamet. Like Red Belt, which we covered last week, it is one of Mamet's last films, and another example of his honing his craft as a filmmaker while maintaining the essence of his work as a writer. It's a tight political action thriller about the search for the abducted daughter of a president with one of the great Val Kilmer performances at its center. It's twisty and cynical, and other than that, Let's just talk about the film and our favorite lines and performances. <laughs> we are definitely going to be spoiling the hell out of this, so please watch the film before we ruin it for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really glad that you you picked this. I feel like Red Belt had been on your list. I don't remember if Spartan had been on your list for a while, but like, I just feel like you can't do one without the other, and both are just well. Before I talk. How, Andres, how is the world wrong about Spartan? 
Well, I just think that like Red Belt, it never really gets discussed. No. As I think it should. Both of these films, as you say, they are a kind of pinnacle achievement for him. And because they're his last films so far, um, it just seems like that is worthy of interest. Uh, yeah, oh, definitely. And also, and um, this is kind of new. I recently had the good fortune to hang out with you and a couple of your fellow Vulcan video veterans. And one of them referred to this film as fascist. And uh, (laughs) sure, I guess it is in the way that thousands of other movies and TV shows that celebrate the process of idealized cops and the military (laughs) are. But I think that Spartan's cynicism paints anything but a glorified picture of Kilmer and his yeah. commandos. Like, it is, it is not celebrating the world that it is showing us. It is, as opposed to films that I think are genuinely fascistic, like Top Gun, or no offense to people who like it, but it's a, it is a genuine celebration of militarism, you know, of militarism and. Uh, jingoism and just America and I'm not saying that this is not to shoot down that film but I do it is to draw like it's like the um, the Starship Troopers thing yeah like to say that because a film uh, represents the worst aspects of a fascistic society doesn't mean that it's celebrating that and films that have the big explosion at the end and then you just feel good and you don't worry about who got blown up (laughs) <laughs> Those films are genuinely fascistic, but nobody points yeah. them out, points it out. So, and I feel that's apparent when we break this movie down. That I feel like, like you get you like you, it makes begin as a movie that you feel is on the side of fascism, but then as its main character sort of realizes the world that he's been a part of, you realize that that is sort of not a great world to be in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a film that takes for granted that there is a pipeline of American girls being shuttled off to other countries to be sex slaves with the president and the secret services and all of our, like with the knowledge of our security state, which in light of the whole Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell thing is, seems kind of prescient and, and revealing and, certainly not it's not celebrating that it is no (laughs) you know that's just one example of the way that this film i think that its cynicism keeps it from being celebratory of the, the 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 actions and the institutions we see in the film so yeah yeah. So well, what's your experience with this film, Brian? <laughs> this was, I feel, one of the last Mammoth movies I watched. For some reason, I just skipped over it. Because what was right before this one? I don't remember. Is this Was State and Maine right before? Was it State and Maine, then Spartan, then uh, Red Belt? But like for whatever reason, I just saw this and I was like, oh, Mammoth's doing a Val Kilmer action movie. Oh, I wonder what that's like. And then I just kind of forgot about it. Like a lot of people, I didn't really consider it and then i saw red belt loved it and then still didn't go back to revisit spartan and it wasn't until i was like studying david mamet and was like sitting down and going through everything i finally watched this and was like holy shit that's a fucking movie and what's great about it and i think i I hope to not repeat myself too much with red belt i feel like even more so than red belt this is just such 
a tight, tight movie. Like there is, this is a lean machine, this movie. There is no fat in this movie. Like it gets going immediately and doesn't stop. And everything is packed with power and every word has meaning. And there's just not a wasted second of this movie that's not too long. And everything is there and everything works for everything. And it's like, if you were just to talk about the plot, you may think I'm telling you about like Taken 3 or something like that. You know, like there's yeah. been movies that have a similar plot. There's a million like, movies like this. Of, yeah, this is a, like the, it's the, the this most like, yeah. obvious, like Cherche <laughs> La Femme, find the girl. <laughs> You know, like you're a badass guy who's really good at your job and only you can do it. And you're going to be the one who saves this lady. And in the process, you're going to like, you know, like be the best at like fighting or whatever until the end of the movie. And, uh, and yeah, you, you break all the rules, but you have to, to get the thing you, you know, like, it's just like, there's been so many movies like this. And so on paper, and maybe that's why I didn't see it immediately because on paper, it kind of sounds like one of those movies, uh, but then when you watch it, you realize that, like, it's kind of infuriating, actually, rewatching this movie. Because it's because why can't every movie be like this? Why do <laughs> movies have to be stupid? Like, you can make a movie that's a fun movie or an action movie or a thriller or just like a tight thing. And it doesn't have to be stupid. It doesn't have to be dumbed down. Like, this movie is so intelligent and it does not think its audience are dummies. Like... The main thing, like the one, one of the main things I noticed this time around was like, they never actually specifically say in the movie that Kristen Bell's character is the president's daughter. They never actually say that out loud. It's all hinted at, like, especially for the first hour. Yeah. They're like, the way people are talking about it, you know, you're slowly learning this is someone of importance or a daughter of someone of importance, but you don't really understand. You, you can piece it, piece it together yourself until the end when it's finally revealed. Uh, totally out loud and if you haven't figured out by then then I, I can't help you but <laughs> but i like that like i think another movie would had like the president sit down with the guy and you know like or whatever it could be yeah. like a national treasure movie or i don't know it just would have been more ridiculous and like in the reality of this movie is heightened like it's dealing with things that really happen but like it is definitely still a action movie where Val Kilmer's better at, you know, dodging a bullet or breaking or getting out of a situation, but it doesn't feel dumb. It's not dumb at all. Just like Red Belt was never dumb, even though that's a mixed martial arts kind of action movie. And I just appreciate that. I appreciate that David Mamet went here with Spartan, like was like, I'm going to make the kind of movies you've seen, but make the really the one for grownups that's smart. So just to to get the timeline straight, Spartan came three years after Heist, which came mm. one year after State and Maine, which came one Heist. year after The Winslow Boy, which came two years after The Spanish Prisoner. I forgot about Heist. Heist was sort of, I feel, like him getting towards this. Like, it still feels very much in the world of, like, House of Games and stuff, Uh but it was a little more thrillery than uh, like it had you know some gunplay uh, like mild action scenes. But here, it's I feel he's like it's more. Yeah, there's something about heist that's a little bit. It's enjoying itself a little bit much, <laughs> and that's not. It, I I like it, but the things that make Spartan and Spartan and Red Belt such special special films is that they managed to get past the mammothness. Like he'd already like if he had never done films that were super mammothy, 
I would feel like we lost out. Like, I love that we have those films. And I also love a director just like honing and honing and cutting away and cutting away. And I feel like both of these films, he's working in genres that are pretty, I don't know. You don't think of a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright writing these films. (laughs) <laughs> not, not at all not at all I, it's it's cool because to me like in my mind like it's like when you hear those stories about like stanley kubrick and he makes his art films but you know when he's home he watches freebie and the bean and james bond but like what if he was actually like you know what i want to take a crack at one of those uh, types of action movies like why not and i just I, in my mind david mamet like loves watching <laughs> these kind of action movies but was like I can do better. I can make the smart version of this. <laughs> I want to take a crack at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the cast on this, particularly Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah. Uh, what a, like, let's, let's end on Val Kilmer. Let's talk about the little people first. The little people. Uh, the <laughs> little people like Jeff Pearson returning to the world is wrong once again. I know. I was so excited. He's in it very briefly. Doesn't matter when he should just a little I, bit of Jeff Pearson goes a I long feel way. He's got to be the winner now so far, right? Like that's, this is now what third, fourth movie with, with him. Like, I don't think we've had anyone yeah, with this man. He was in rules. Don't apply. He was in, um, Jack and Jill, Jack and Jill. I feel like there's at least another one that he was in. Well, he was in The Wrong Missy, which we gave a lot of love on our first Oscars. So I I count that. And I want to say, yeah, he showed up in something else. But I love that that you get the sprinkling of the Mammoth regulars uh, in here. Uh, You got your uh, J.J. Johnston. Very briefly. Incredibly briefly. Just walking away from a table. (laughs) He doesn't Uh, get a line. (laughs) You get David Paymer as a newscaster. Yeah. I would watch that. I don't watch the news. I hate the news, but I would watch that news. I would watch the paper news. Well, at least actually based upon this movie, that news is lying just as much as the current news is. You wouldn't want to watch (laughs) that. Well, I don't care about the lies, (laughs) but at least he would sound really worried and concerned about every news that he would report because it's David Paymer. It would be with the utmost concern. Uh, You have Ed O'Neill, amazing, just briefly but great. Yeah. Just packs a punch. Uh, And then you have William H. Macy... Being creepy, which I like. <laughs> I don't think we get as much of that anymore. And yeah. it's nice to see sort of a, a kind of a, a untrusting uh, Bill Macy. I got to jump uh, in here because I, you may not mention her, but Natalia Nagulich, who plays mm-hmm. the madam, she was also in Homicide and I acted with her in um, The Prom with Jennifer oh, Jason. Nice. There you go. And with. Um, J.T. Walsh probably would have been in this movie if he had been alive, and he was also in the uh, prom. Anyway, uh, uh, yes, so we have Natalia uh, Nagulich, and then we have Clark Gregg. Oh, so pre, good. Uh, I think pre uh, all the Marvel stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, like this is like two years, to three years before Iron Man. But he's playing the uh, exact same character. <laughs> he was in State in Maine, I believe, correct? I think like, so. I feel, he, I feel like we've seen him in a mammoth thing. Uh but then, to me, the, the movie is great because of the three, the four main characters. Wait, wait, wait! Are so I gotta, I gotta do one more. The uh, small. So there's, a, we'll get to it. But there are a couple of con, convicts played by Saeed 
Tagamui and Mark Pellegrino. Mm. And Mark Pellegrino is another one of my favorite. Love Mark Pellegrino. Uh, actors who just <laughs> seems to just show up. I used to be in acting class with him and he was great. And he <laughs> always shows up in just weird things. And usually to die really yeah, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like show up and be like, oh, I don't like this guy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, good. He's like his scene in Mulholland Drive is the best yep. scene yep. in that movie where it's him trying to kill. And then it just keeps getting out of hand and him getting so upset. That is one of the best scenes in any movie ever. And he's also really good in Dexter as the creepy boy ex-boyfriend of, of Dexter's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And then he's really, really good. As uh, the devil in Supernatural. He's great on that show. I'm a big fan of his. I actually have... There's an erotic thriller that I have that he's in. I don't remember the name of it right now. I have it somewhere. It's... Uh, it, the name eludes me. But he's just... He's always been good. He's, he's just something about him. Also got a nice role in the series American Rust with Jeff Daniels and Maura mm. Tierney. Mm. He's very good in that. Really good. He's a really, really, really good actor. I hope someday he gets to play some leads, more leads. <laughs> but sure I don't know, maybe he's some. just a good character actor that you like. Just you want a little sprinkling of like in like in every movie that steals the show, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'd like to work for more than a day on these films. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, now let's get to let's get to the main the main actors. Um. So uh, let's talk about, uh, I guess, Kristen Bell. Oh, yeah. She's really good. And this was, I think, the first thing I saw. And this is before this came out the same year as season one of Veronica Mars. And I didn't get to the Veronica Mars party until after it had ended uh, and realized how great she was. Uh, but she, yeah, she plays the uh, the person that uh, must be, you know, rescued from the, uh, you know, <clears throat> white slave trade and uh she's she's, she's great uh and it's like it's it's sort of that kind of great role where everyone talks about the character for the whole movie and they don't actually show up till the end but they've been so talked about <laughs> that you feel like you already know them by the time they they show up uh, a lot of talk about her hair changing her hair and it's all you know because the whole movie is Val Kilmer's character interacting with people that knew her or interacted with her and like getting all these little pieces of information. And when she shows up at the end, it's really upsetting. And the way she is, it's just like, it just like this lady who went through this horrible, you know, ordeal. And I don't know. I just thought like for, I think gotta be one of the first movies she's done. Well, she was she, in, she was an episode of the shield and maybe that's where Mamet saw her, but he, she, but even earlier than that in 2001, her first credited role is as a record executive's daughter in Pootie Tang. <laughs> that, I'm gonna have to revisit. That's that an auspicious start. Um, and in preparation for this, I watched. I saw that Mamet has after Spartan, no, after Red Belt, he made a bunch of comedy videos or several comedy videos for Funnier. Yeah, die. for Funnier Die. Yeah, and they are not funny. <laughs> they're so they're die they're really i mean i was surprised how like they're bad in a way that i guess that's the joke like the joke is this is a bad this is bad but it's just depressing after what? the height <laughs> of these films that then he's making what 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 are they I like, what is it like <laughs> uh there's a film called lost masterpieces of pornography with Kristen bell and ricky jay 
and Ed O'Neill. And okay. it's Ricky Jay is announcing this lost piece of pornography that was found in some collection. And while he's reading it, you can tell that he's reading a cue card. He's looking down with his, it's like, it's so, it's really done poorly. And then it's <laughs> kind of like, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like a Benny Hill, but less funny. <laughs> and well, all things are less funny than it, Benny Hill. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's kind of how bad it is. And then huh. uh, there's a film called The Two Painters, with uh, Ariana Huffington talking about a book that she wrote about the friendship between Pablo Picasso and Earl Scheib. Hmm. Also, not funny. Best part of that is Rebecca <laughs> Pigeon doing a little bit of the, uh, the voiceover at the end. And okay. then... Uh... Oh, and then the film, a short called Our Valley that's basically... Mammoth's daughter, Clara, standing up like she's on a set and she's standing up in front of a wind machine and she's trying to do a speech. And then all this stuff flies at her like cats and, and like it's, <laughs> it's bad. It's it's I, I really, really like David Mamet. And I think that he can be very funny, but he should not do. Comedy. I wonder what that was for. I wonder because that it looks like that was all in 2010. He just was bored. Yeah, I'm sure and, like, he was just having fun. But after Red Belt, yeah. after Red Belt was like time to do that. I wonder, like, when you read the intro to his one act play collection, uh, which is amazing, and I highly recommend anyone uh, get it. It's called, I think it's called the Goldberg Variations, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, it's. But it's really, really good. And the intro, he talks about that every a lot of the stuff in there. He just kind of wrote just to be writing. It's like it's like like these a lot of these things were not written in the mind that it'll be performed, but just I just wanted to be writing things just to feel like I was a writer, to feel like okay, I wrote a thing today, and it's like they're just sketch. A lot of them are just little skets, little sketches, and so a lot of them are really funny. Um, and uh, I wonder if that's what this was of just sort of like I just want to do little movies. Like I, it's just going to be on this website. Uh, it won't doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Like, let's just have fun with my friends in 2010. <laughs> it's felt like, uh, yeah, because that's what, three years after Red Belt? Uh, yeah, but that's, yeah, I wonder. Well, then I don't feel the need to watch them. I have always wondered about those shorts. Uh, <laughs> Goldberg Street, that's what it's called. I think Goldberg Variations is a Bach thing. Uh, Goldberg so it does Street. say that he's in pre-production on a new film hmm. called Two Days, 1963. The real story of the killing of a president as told by Joseph Giancana, who was with his brother Sam Giancana during those days, written by their nephew and told in real time about the underbelly that pulled off this, this crime. It's got a rewrite from David Mamet, and it will be directed by David Mamet. So it sounds like we have a JFK hmm. assassination thriller on the way, and that <laughs> seems like something that Mamet could do pretty well. I agree. Uh, cause, <laughs> uh, all right. Let's. Do you have anything else to say about Kristen Bell? Uh, I'm kind of surprised you didn't lump her in with the smaller performances because the <laughs> before we get to Kilmer, the two big performances yeah. that I find in it. First of all, Derek Luke 
so good. God, what a charismatic is... actor and so just like you feel him and what happens to him in this film is just this film just like uses him really, really well. And we'll get to that when we're talking about the plot. Uh, and then there's Tia Tejeda, who I guess has worked a lot in TV. She looks kind of familiar, uh, but not a lot of big movie roles. And she has a fantastic role in this film. Kind of surprisingly a lead, like a very stealth lead. Like you kind of don't think she's going to be a lead. And then she is. And <laughs> and uh, Mamet worked with her after this on the unit. She's in like two seasons of the unit. Yeah. She's great. Um, she is great. And the, I, yeah. And we'll talk about like, yeah, the, like I really like how those two characters are placed within the movie and how they kind of work with the main character. Yeah. Uh, whom we can talk about now, Mr. Val Kilmer. <laughs> so he like uh, it's our, so I'm so glad that we got him. Do, like every time I'm watching these mammoth films, that's kind of the feeling I have. Like oh, I'm so glad we have a Paul Newman mammoth film. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> you know we have you know we have a Val Kilmer performance in that yeah. mammoth world, and uh, he's and, so. Uh, it's funny, like, let, can we talk a little bit? Because I feel like this is around the time of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And the that characters right. are yeah. similar, but so different. But it, it, <laughs> they both have this quality. And I'm trying to think if this has always been Val Kilmer's thing. That he's so naturally intense and charismatic yeah. that he really doesn't have to do much. And he knows it. And so he really doesn't do much. <laughs> But it's so, but but it's so subtle, and the little modulations in character when he has to pretend, like in this film, he has to go undercover different times and be different people, and he yeah. totally shapeshifts. But in the character, yeah, like the character shapeshifts. Yeah, it's so yeah, this, yeah, he was on a roll around this time, like uh, the, the year after this was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So it was just sort of like I felt like. Oh, he's back. He's in like he's doing all great things again. Like I felt like he kind of disappeared for or maybe just felt that way like after Batman. Uh but he is just yeah, he just has that like the the cockiness that his characters have <laughs> really works in this movie just like it works in uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang where it's like he knows he's a step ahead of everyone else and he has no patience for <laughs> the people around him that aren't kind of on his level but he gets kind of caught up in it which is great like and then like he his sort of like 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 the thing you referenced earlier with of uh, Derek Lewis character saying he, he saw the sign originally Kilmer's character kind of brushes that off as like oh he's just like feverish because he got shot or I don't know what he's talking about or it means a religious thing and then realize that he fucked up and he should have actually listened you know a week earlier uh but he's just so yeah. He was born to do mammoth dialogue. It's just he can just deliver these lines, and I think he delivers it better than other people have. I feel like a lot of the dialogue is very written sounding, but the way he does it, it doesn't feel stagey or play like. Like yeah, like 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 the, the it's like and it is weird. Like when you're hearing the dialogue, you're like this is an odd way of talking, but he sells it. Like the scene when he breaks into the house and he's like the TV's on. Why is the TV on? And he just keeps talking about the TV being on. And he's like, I'm really concerned that the TV hurt was... you. I would never want to hurt you. I just want to know why the TV is on. Like, 
<laughs> and it kind of gets you into this trance state. It kind of works at like what he's doing to these people where he's manipulating these people and he's repeating these words and these lines in a very you know, David Mamet way. But but if he's doing it with a purpose, like he's he's doing it to kind of mesmerize these people that he's trying to pull a fast one over or try to like divert attention to why he's actually there or what he's trying to do. And like he does that multiple times in this movie. Like uh also when he meets the uh the pimp guy or whatever outside the bar and he's just like, I just wanna I just want a girl. I just want a girl like like why would a girl sleep with why would a, why would a young, I, the way it says is why would a young girl wanna hang out with a guy like me? And he says that over and over again. And it's just so like it's like I love it because for the character, it's great because acting weird. And they kind of make this point at other points in the film. Like if you are a real Secret Service person, you don't whisper. You don't you, you don't sort of it's not a stealth thing. It's like it's a mind. It's like it's kind of a mind trick. Yeah. And yeah, he just it's like they're like they're slowly brainwashing you or something. Right. Like it's like and it very much feels like like why like David Mamet loves that stuff. That's why he loves Ricky Jay. That's why he loves like magic and magic tricks and sort of like all of his movies, especially in this one too, it has sort of like the way it reveals things and the way the characters find stuff out and just sort of like I love, yeah, this like manipulation in the words of what Val Kilmer's character is saying to these people. He's like manipulating their brain to think something, you know, like if, if Val Kilmer wasn't uh, working for the government on secret missions, he would be a great uh, mu uh, magician <laughs> or a great sort of like he, he kind of reminds me of uh, who's the British guy that does all the kind of uh, <clears throat> brainwashy stuff. It's really great. I forget his name, but uh it's uh david niven <laughs> sleight of hand type uh stuff daniel day lewis it's, daniel day just thinking of english people boris johnson <laughs> jeremy but, corbyn uh, <laughs> anyway go on sorry i'm done i won't do anymore uh but yeah and and also vel kilmer has a way of making things seem really funny like i feel he adds a lot of humor to the way he's cocky, to the way that he's like kind of going, dealing with all these big idiots or difficult people or these people that he knows are lying to him, but they don't know that he's smarter than them. Like, he's just like, there's a, some kind of a humor to the way that he interacts with people that I really like. <laughs> and I really like when he is off duty, he says the word baby a lot. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> Did not notice that. Like he's he's doing a lot of like when when uh, Derek Luke meets him at the uh, feed store, he's or like when he's meet, talking to Tia, it's a lot of he says baby. He's like, all right, baby, okay, baby, let's. Do it. <laughs> like he's he's got his guard down or something for a moment while he's <laughs> dealing with him. Um, this is well, our second Kilmer movie too, by the way, worth mentioning since we did Thunderheart oh, yeah. season one. So now we're two Kilmers in. And I should just sort of revisit that. Uh, I recently started watching the series Dark Winds. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. It's a, sort of a Native American crime drama. And it's produced by Robert Redford. And it's all about a Native American FBI agent 
who is undercover on the res pretending that he's not an FBI agent, but they find out that he is like the the native police officer uh, sees through him right away. And then they form an unlikely friendship to solve this crime, which is basically Thunderheart. <laughs> yeah. And it's beautiful. It's well acted. And after what Michael Apted said about Robert Redford and the way he didn't like he really didn't want to have the Leonard Peltier mm-hmm. stuff in there. And so now it's it's just odd to see Redford making a version of Thunderheart that does take the Peltier part out and takes the environmental problems out and turns it all into just a crime story about cops in which he substitutes a sort of um, sort of losery terrorist criminal gang that call themselves the Buffalo Society for the American Indian movement aim and the sort of John Trudell character in Thunderheart. And I'm a little annoyed. It's still, it's excellent TV, uh, but it's propaganda. And along the same lines, but I think slightly better, I wanted to point out that uh, that there's another series that I think is actually better, not as intense, but I just think more original, called Rutherford Falls that stars Michael Grayes from yeah. Wild Indian. Yeah. And that is a fucking awesome show. And good God, he if you thought he was good in Wild Indian, forget about it. He is on a whole other level hmm. in this in this series. He's funny, he's serious. Uh there's a scene where I'm I feel like he's really channeling John Trudell when he uh he's called in to to interrogate a pretendian, a white guy pretending to be a Native American expert. And oh, it's just so it's so good. So Okay. Um anyway, I, I was thinking about that when I was watching this because I was thinking about Thunderheart and I was thinking about how Dark Winds is sort of a pale imitation of that. But Rutherford Falls and Michael Grayes, check it out. Okay. Uh, let's let's go through the let's let's go through the plot of this film, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, why don't I? I'll just just sort of some bullet points. So we start off, and Derek Luke is chasing Tia Tejada in a military uh, military training, being led by Val Kilmer, and he gets tired, and that's the scene we recounted or did our version of at the beginning <laughs> of this, and. But he, he rallies and he, I guess we assume that he catches Tia Tejada and they both pass the training and Derek Luke tries to get friendly with Val Kilmer, but he's not into it. He's every time he tries to be friendly to him, Kilmer just shuts it down. Yeah. I don't want to be your friends. You don't know me. You know? And, uh, and then... Maybe this is one of the things that makes people think it's fascistic, and it is, <laughs> uh, is that then Kilmer and the other officers bring Derek Luke and another guy who we assume passed all of this training and then says, okay, this is the last 
the last test, when I say execute, move on my order. And what I want you to do is the um, the last the, the one to walk out of here gets to be in the unit. And then they just start fighting. <laughs> I guess I, I'm assuming not to the death. Or maybe. But <laughs> maybe, maybe. But maybe to the death. Maybe to the death. Yeah. I really like don't know. the beginning of this movie feels so much like the beginning of Red Belt. I wonder if they were both in Mammoth's mind at the same time. Like it has like how Red Belt starts with that training scene of 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 him giving the lesson to the student and kind of repeating and kind of like and the guy wanting to give up and being like okay no you don't give up you got to do this and the beginning of this movie is basically the same idea of like this this kind of wiser person training these younger people they they want to give up and he pushes them and gives his you know like it just feel like there's definitely a mirror thing going on here with the beginnings of both Spartan and Red Belt and uh in this Part of the film, we see that Tia Tejada is also trying to get closer to Kilmer, trying to join his unit. And we can tell that he's more impressed with her, mm-hmm. but he's also not giving her any encouragement at all. <laughs> and although he says, good job, like he does give her, he does give her compliments, but he doesn't say, yes, you'll be on my team. Yeah. And then the movie kicks in. Basically, that sets that sets, and it's immediately Kilmer gets the assignment to stand too. I get I, I I watch it so I know the president's daughter is missing, but the girl is missing. You got to find the girl. Got to find the girl. We'll find the girl. Girl, 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 girl. And that's when Clark Gregg comes in, and there's an interrogation of another actor who I like as well, who uh, I am not remembering his name. But he was one of the guards guarding the girl and that that has been abducted. And he's trying to cover up for his mistakes or for his negligence or for his complicity. And Bell Kilmer runs a very intense bad cop with Clark Gregg's <laughs> kind of good cop in the interrogation. Uh. And then that's when... Uh, that's when Val Kilmer does his first sort of undercover job. He dresses up as a security guard in Harvard Square. I kind of, I really enjoyed all the scenes in Harvard Square and in Boston because I know that area really well. And he finds the girl's boyfriend trying to break into the, I don't know, her mailbox to get out a letter. And that scene is a perfect example of what we're talking about about Kilmer really owning the mammoth dialogue and bringing his own thing to it Mm -hmm. and underplaying it but doing it in a way that's kind of funny but the way it's funny is also really off-putting and you can see how it disorients whoever he's talking to and then we come back to the office the station which I guess is in a football stadium (laughs) because that's where they land the helicopter and that's where the guy who was being interrogated kills himself. And everyone's wondering where he got the pistol, who searched him, who searched him, how do you get the pistol, where do you get the pistol to kill himself? And that's when we find out that Derek Luke is on the team with Val Kilmer and, and with Jeff Pearson. That's when Jeff Pearson shows up. <laughs> Everyone gives a standing ovation and he walks away (laughs) and then uh then so then 
basically Kilmer found out from the boyfriend that the the girl was going to go to a club for like I guess where young women hook up with older men a prostitute club I guess or some kind of prostitution type club and that's when Val Kilmer goes as a creepy guy <laughs> looking to find a young woman uh he, bo- he, he borrows a, Ed O'Neill's jacket <laughs> I guess he borrows Ed O'Neill's jacket his jacket looks like the kind that a guy would be looking for scoping for prostitutes <laughs> would wear um uh, and that's when we see J.J. Johnston I feel he's Can I just jump in? Like, there was parts of this movie that remind me a lot, in a way, of The Saint, the Val Kilmer version of The Saint. Do you remember that? Because that's a movie where it's Val Kilmer having to kind of do different disguises and playing all these different characters to kind of like, it was sort of like, uh, yeah, like him just, yeah, just like wearing fake teeth or doing it. And what's great about this movie is he's basically doing the same thing, but he doesn't change how he looks like prosthetically. It's just the way he talks, the way he holds his face, the the clothes he's wearing that he keeps kind of taking on these little characters, which is, is so good. Like, I feel like it's, it's weird. I, I think the world is wrong in the way that there was a time where I think people really took for granted Val Kilmer. I think that he was sort of looked at as just sort of like, he's good, but he's like some handsome, good guy. But like, what like, does he have a lot of range? I don't know. Like, I think people forgot that, like, he is really good. Like, his like he can do just, he is a great act. He's just, like, one of the great actors, <laughs> you know? Like, he, and, like, don't put him in as Batman. That's a waste of his talent. Put him in something like this, where he can have his weird humor and kind of do these, like, little voices or this sort of, like, his version of what he thinks is funny or just sort of, like, just something, like, you can tell there's just something odd about him. It's sort of almost like the Brad Pitt thing of like you were you couldn't help but be you were born in a handsome guy's body and that's not your fault. But really at your heart, maybe you are a character actor or you are you're more interesting than just some like California looking guy, you know? It's funny because I always felt like the the knock on him came because of his sort of method stuff on the doors because I feel like every he was on the rise and everyone loved Val Kilmer and then he was great in the doors but the stories going on were about him being difficult doing, like making him. everyone talking to him as like everyone had to talk to him refer to him as Jim and he was in Jim and you know the people who get annoyed at that I just well the world is wrong it's <laughs> it is so fucking you know what if you're not an actor shut your fucking pie hole <laughs> Like, and if you are an actor and and you have, there are legitimate critiques to have about that style for different, you know, how people do it and what the context is and what the film is and, you know, the working relationships between people. But people who just write off that, like the performance is great. He did it. (laughs) And if he did the same thing on Tombstone and made everyone call him Huckleberry or whatever, you know, or... If you're just telling everyone I'm your Huckleberry, like it works. The point isn't the point of making a, a movie isn't to or doing a great performance isn't to be a popular person on the set. I mean, it's nice to be a respectful actor to other actors and other professionals, but the 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 hatred that comes from stupid amateurs aimed at people who are giving great performances and putting themselves through 
great riggers to do so. Yeah, those people are wrong. Yeah. They're stupid. Are, you know, and, and maybe if I wasn't sick, I'd have more patience for them. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm so and, angry. I and maybe he took it too far on, on some movies. We'll definitely talk about that with Island of Dr. Moreau and all the stories about that next week. Spoiler alert, but, that's what's next. <laughs> but uh, I think what I was referring to was more that kind of weird late 90s, early aughts period where he was like in things, but I felt like they were trying to make him less interesting or like you know it's like that batman like don't it's like when george clooney was batman it's like this is not the actor you want like yes he's handsome and it makes sense you want him to be bruce wayne but he's better he's more interesting than that or like or at least those movies didn't know how to make bruce wayne interesting in the way that they did when christian bale finally did it you know or when michael keaton did it before uh but i think like it was nice here to see kilmer in a movie and being allowed to kind of get into his weird like in a way, I feel like it's the same thing with Nicolas Cage. I wonder if it's like, if the director trusts this actor to be themselves and do what they want to do, then you'll get something really interesting. But if you're forcing them in the box to try to play it more straight, then you're just you're just not doing a stick. Like why are you hiring this actor? And I like I like that Val Kilmer is allowed to be a little odd here. I think if another actor had played this role and had done even the same dialogue. It could have just come off as a little dry or, you know, or, or just sort of not. I think the humor is a lot of what Val Kilmer brings to this, like just the way he is doing stuff. There's like an eccentric thing going on here. And there's some there's a way that he plays authority. And this is why I think of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. This sort of like not it's not impatience, really, but it's on the ver. It's like a very relaxed kind of impatience. <laughs> You know, he's he he is smarter than whoever he's talking to, but it doesn't come off as fully. It doesn't come off as arrogant. It comes off as authority and with a light touch. It's just a, yeah, it's really it's really great. Um, can we get back to the plot? Let's do it. OK, so uh, this is when don't blink because you'll miss J.J. Johnston walking away from the table of the guy who is shipping uh, a, you know, Sex, shipping young women on the pipeline to become uh, sex slaves in other countries. And J.J. Johnson is walking away from the table. We assume he's made some sort of deal to find some young women, creepy guy. And then there's a great sort of showdown between Val Kilmer and the guy who's the kidnapper or helping the kidnappers and uh, Derek Luke's involved and he break and uh, Val-, Val Kilmer breaks his arm. It's great. He's like, you broke my arm. And then he says, now your arm's broken. And he, and he, uh, and he tells Derek Luke to like take his eye out. And Derek Luke has this moment of like hesitation and Val Kilmer's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the fascism that people are <laughs> Well, but again, it's that this is what they're trying to it's it's representing how harsh this world is, not like in another movie, it would be like, I was just kidding. And he's and in this movie, he's like, no, take his eye out. If he he does not say anything, take it. And he does. He tells us uh, that he has a number and then they come back to the the main headquarters with Ed O'Neill and William H. Macy and they realize they don't know who they've got. She dyed her hair and they don't know that they have the president's daughter. They just think they have some girl. Yeah. 
And then this, you know, that ratchets up the intensity because they're like, yeah, when they find out who she is, what are they going to do? They're going to kill her. And so then they have we move on to the next mission. And this is when Val Kilmer plays a criminal who is shooting up a like some sort of general store <laughs> and comes out. And he, basically there's these convicts, one of them played by Said Tagamui, who has been in a lot of different things, a lot of shows. Um, you'd recognize him if you saw him. And he is the connect to Dubai and the slave trade. And he's traveling with a death row prisoner. I think when Ed O'Neill says it, he says death row prisoner like two or three times, kind of saying, you're going to kill him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's played by Mark Pellegrino. So Kilmer comes out of the sh- store he shoots the cop who is uh, who is helping the convicts or taking the convicts to wherever they're going to, <laughs> and we assume that that cop isn't really dead. Well, and then I sort Obon- of jump in there. I feel like this this is a great scene. This whole sequence is so good, and I think what makes it even more uh, effective is that right before this, when Ed O'Neill's sort of laying the mission out for Bill Kilmer's character, he just basically is telling him. You know, like you have a license to kill. He's basically he's he says like, you will do it. Like you will do whatever it takes, right? You will do like you will you will go as far as you need to go, as far as we tell you to go to get the mission done. And Vilcomer's like, of course. And so there is nothing I will not do. do. So you are so when the scene begins, you think he really is killing this cop and killing, being like, this is a secret mission, deep, deep, deep undercover, and he will do what it takes to get this, and he is killing the store owner. And so there's that few minutes where you're kind of like, oh, shit, like maybe Vel Kilmer is like not really a great guy. <laughs> He's just killing these people just to get a job done. But then the movie has that very Mammothian reveal when he goes back in to the diner and you see, you know, the guy who played the actor of, of the store owner and they're throwing fake blood on Vel Kilmer and he's shooting the pretend that he's like and you see all these all these government people in the behind the door like, and you kind of can't tell. This is the mammoth thing, like where you can't, like, yeah, this is a cop thing, but it's also a theater thing. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, very much uh, the behind the scenes, and then you're just kind of seeing occasionally the guy, the convicts in the car, just hearing this, just assuming that this badass robber has just blown everyone away in the diner, and I really love that moment. That just feels so. That's just like that scene would not be in a movie not made by David Mamet. Like when you see the other movies like this, like that moment is a hundred percent him. Like that is what he's bringing to this kind of story is that, that, yeah. that kind of twist in turn and that way of just revealing information. It's so smart. It's so fun. I really just like that whole part is so great, but then he does. Kill then, so then Kilmer comes out, he's drinking his beer. The guy, uh, Mark Pellegrino is like talking like, hey, it's great. You, you know, you can help me. And he's then he just shoots him right in the, <laughs> you know, in the chest with a big shotgun, just like blows his chest out. He's dead immediately. <laughs> and then Saeed Tagamui is like, no, 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 no. I can I get you. I can you'll make a lot of money and you'll get you. I'll get you girls and da, 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 da. And of course, that's what Val Kilmer wants to hear. And so he's driving him to where they're going to go find the plane. Then they stop at a gas station and Derek Luke comes in to give him some information. And while he's doing that, he fucks up and Saeed Tagamui sees 
the sees that he is asking for uh, ammunition from another cop and he sees the cop's gun and badge. And so Saeed steals a gun from another car and takes a shot at Val Kilmer, doesn't hit him, does shoot Derek Luke, and then Val Kilmer shoots Saeed. And so now he doesn't have, they don't have the hookup to Dubai. And that's when they go back. That's when they're on the, they're on the airplane back to the headquarters and they're with Derek Luke and the, uh, there's a scene. I just love it. It's so odd, but so great. We're Derek Luke in the. I guess we we didn't talk about one of their uh, one of their missions, which was to go and sh- find this house where the girl had been kept. And Derek Luke saw a symbol that she signs on all of her letters that we found out from her boyfriend. And he sees it on the window before he takes out this guy. And then while he's shot and on the plane, he's saying to uh, Val Kilmer, I saw the sign. And then Kilmer has just a like a killer movie star line. He just looks and says, then you are truly blessed. <laughs> and it's for like it's that kind of thing in a movie where the character is trying to tell the of an important piece of information and the person isn't really listening. Yeah. I think this is the best version <laughs> of that possible. Yeah. Because he's not saying you're crazy. He's just saying something that you say to someone who has been shot and is making no sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's wonderful. So then they're about to go on the mission to go to Dubai to find the girl. And then they get word that the girl is dead. She died in drowning with her college professor, who we told we were told earlier in the film was a creep who she's, you know, who knows if he's a creep. But if you define creep as someone who dates their students, then yes, he is. <laughs> and so then they're all just like, fuck it. We were OK. It's not happening. And Val Kilmer is off on his own, drinking and talking to other uh, Secret Service people. And then he's off in some little town at this Mike's Feed and Seed store talking all about farming, which is so (laughs) – I find that really odd, that scene. I don't see him as a guy who has time to maintain a garden, but okay. Um, But – Derek Luke tracks him down using his own trade craft and impresses Val Kilmer. And he's trying to tell Val Kilmer that he saw the sign, that he saw the girl's sign, that she was there. He, uh, Val Kilmer doesn't believe it. He's got another great mammoth line. You got to set your motherfucker to receive. <laughs> uh, but Derek, uh, Derek Luke actually shows him like figures it out and shows him that he found a piece of her earring at the at the safe house mm-hmm. and so that now Val Kilmer knows that she's alive and well and also just knows that the story of her dying, drowning wasn't true that like they were right that it was this sort of like right. sex slave thing which they kind of brushed off as oh I guess that didn't really happen right so now uh th- Kilmer takes Derek Luke to go see the house where he saw the sign, go to the safe house. And we're feeling pretty good about Derek Luke. He got shot and he survived and he's figured this all out and he's the hero of this movie. And then in a very, like the most casual and surprising turn in this movie, he's just pointing to the house and he is shot from a long range rifle through the head, collapses, 
dead. Sorry, Derek Luke. Um, and, you know, there was something about this that reminded me of The Untouchables. Mm. There is a thing. I don't know if you've noticed this in The Untouchables, but it's something that at the time it came out, someone pointed it out to me. And it's one of my favorite little hooks in that film is that everyone who drinks alcohol dies. <laughs> and there's a scene where Charles Martin Smith, he's he doesn't drink, and he does, but then they have the Canadian, like they work with the Canadian Mounties. Mm-hmm. And there's like someone shoots a hole in one of the barrels and he just puts his hand under it and drinks. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know he's going to die. <laughs> and there's so, there's something about that. Like it, like uh, Derek Luke, we like the movie's really tricking us with him because he's the guy who was going to quit, who got tired. He's the guy who fucks up in the at the grocery store gas station. And yet. The film is telling us he's smart and the most likable character in the film. But it is a like just as this film is trying to the point that Kilmer's character is making all the time is that it's an unforgiving business. And if you make mistakes, even if you're trying to help, that's how you get killed. Yeah. And I don't know for you that I've. Every time I see the movie, I find that moment shocking. It's very shocking because you really think because the movie, you really think it's going to be these two guys are figuring this out together. (laughs) And then at the 40 minute mark, this movie is like, nope, (laughs) it's not going to be this guy anymore. And uh, but it makes but it makes you instantly like, oh, shit, like the stakes are raised. Like maybe Val Kilmer could die, too. Like what's going on here? Like it really kind of throws you for a loop. Uh, and I think, but I think it's necessary to kind of, cause I think if it was just Val Kilmer finds the sign and they, and he's there with Derek Luke and they're like, okay, let's go to the next thing. But I think having this happen, of course, lets the audience know that there's something bigger going on. It lets Val Kilmer's character know that like, oh shit, like you can't trust anybody. Uh, you, like, you don't know what's going on. This is like when it's kind of getting into like Spanish prisoner type, you know, this is some good classic mammoth. Like this is like house of games. This is, uh, and, uh, you realize that there, like, this is a movie that's going into some conspiracy and going into some sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's this kind of a thriller. <laughs> Par- yeah, paranoia. So now, <laughs> so now Kilmer knows that he is fully rogue. But he is committed to find the girl. Yeah. He's on a mission. And so he runs through the... So basically, he manages to escape the shooters by pretending that Derek Luke's dead body is his, trying to escape. And I wasn't quite sure about how the logistics of that worked, but I just <laughs> bought it. Yeah. And then he, so he runs through the woods. He gets rid of his phones. He calls a guy to get some paper so that he can go to Dubai and then he sees that the daughter the girl who's been kidnapped that her mother the first lady is having some sort of I don't know thing honoring her daughter or something and so Kilmer goes to find her there's a secret agent a secret service agent a woman who's there who sets up an alarm and everyone escapes and she has a gun on Val Kilmer and he's trying to work his Jedi mind tricks on trying to tell her that 
he actually is a, a good guy and trying to help find this girl. And he's not making any headway. And then he shows her the earring. And then there's an immediate shift. And we realize that she's the only person in the first family who actually cares about this girl. And this is when we start to realize that the president, his wife, that they have just they've just either abandoned the girl because it was convenient or they've been misled by their people to believe that she's gone. But the the film keeps telling us these these people are animals. They're savages. They don't care about their children at all. All they care about is power. And uh, the Secret Service agent in a really beautiful scene just basically says, I'm her mother. I'm her mother. You have to find her. You have to find her. And she gives her a picture, gives Val Kilmer a picture of Kristen Bell and this woman when they were when Kristen Bell was a kid. And you can see that there's just a lot of love there. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we moved to Dubai. And in a way, I kind of don't want like there's a big uh, there's a there's a big extraction. There's a big bunch of extraction scenes. Mm-hmm. Are there any pieces of them that you feel like uh, just watch them? It's action scenes. Yeah, they're good. They're good action scenes. But yeah, it's a they're lot great. Of... And they demand that you like there are characters you think are are going to make it and they don't. And there's all this stuff. But it's an you know, it's this is an action movie at this point and until it, oh, go on. and it moves pretty quickly. It goes from like the house to then they're in the car to then they're in sort of the the stockyard or whatever you want to call it like uh, you know in in one of these loading uh what would you what do you call those big things i don't know <laughs> those container like yeah, a container a, thing a big uh, yeah like a big uh, loading crate that and you'd put cars at in this point things. you're definitely knowing that william h macy is not one of the good ones he's kind of leading the charge of trying to kill <laughs> the president's daughter and Val Kilmer. <laughs> and it, because it's William H. Macy, just like in Fargo and other things where he's played kind of a villain, he is so nice sounding when he talks that he's like, like he's trying to trick you into thinking that he's there to help when he is not <laughs> there to help. Because he comes off, you know, as like, oh, this is this guy's here. He just seems like a nice guy. Uh, and especially in the climax, uh, which is we can talk about now. Yeah, so yeah, so there's a big showdown on the tarmac. Kilmer has Kristen Bell and William H. Macy and his team of commandos are trying to get her and Kilmer gets shot and he but he's still telling her, I'm gonna get you to the I'll get you to the airplane. And then one of the commandos grabs her and starts taking her. And that's when we were, it's revealed that this is Tia Tejada. She managed to get on the detail and she's there to help Kilmer and the girl. And we see that there's a Swiss film crew that's about to board a plane. And very conveniently, <laughs> they're running the cameras. This part, it, it's very odd because William H. Macy is yelling and shooting people while the cameras are rolling. And so we're thinking, okay, well, this this is the end of that. You know, the truth is going to come out. And Tia Tejada gets Kristen Bell to the plane. But in so doing, she gets shot and she's dying on the tarmac. And then 
Kilmer kills William H. Macy, giving us our sort of cathartic villain death, but it doesn't feel as cathartic as it is in <laughs> other movies that are a little bit more two-dimensional. And then Kristen Bell is on her way home. We see that <laughs> Tia Tejada is dying. We see we and then we hear your buddy David Paymer as the news announcer announcing the false story. Never we there is no comeuppance. There is nothing about the shootout. There's nothing about the heroes who died to save the girl. It's all played off as like this was all intended and it was all to, you know, I don't know. It, it's a little bit Do you get why, wh- what the cover story is? Uh I think it was something like it's it that it, they like that he they I don't know I don't really get the cover story <laughs> like how do they bounce back to having her think that she's dead but then she actually isn't uh yeah I don't know um <laughs> can feel a little that that part's a little confusing and I just want to mention the part with the Swedish uh news crew noticing this also again the end of this movie to me feels like the end of Red Belt when he's when uh, the main guy's off fighting people, working his way to the stage, and only a small group of people notice this going on, where the guy turn, turns and coughs. Uh, you know, he turns and coughs, and then he sees a fight going on, and then he kind of points the cameras towards the fight. That's basically what's going on here. There's a fight going on, and then this news crew's like, oh, wait, what's going on over there? Point their cameras over there. So definitely, again, there's like a weird mirroring going on between or between Spartan and Red Belt. Um, And actually, there's one part we didn't talk about, but I think it's my favorite thing in the movie. So at the very beginning, when we meet, when Derek Luke tries to make friends with Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer asks if his dad was in the military and he says that he was and he was in Vietnam. And he shows him this little piece of paper that is all the, I don't know, like the rules for being a good soldier. And... Val Kilmer's like, well, maybe that'll save your life someday. Spoiler alert, it does not save his life. (laughs) And Val Kilmer ends up in possession of this thing that is the last and most important thing that Derek Luke's character had. And in one of the penultimate scenes, Kristen Bell, who's been asking for a cigarette and Val Kilmer has not been giving it to her, once he gets her safely in the shipping container... He's like, she's like, can I have a cigarette? He's like, yeah, I think I can whip that up for you. And he takes out some paper, he takes out some tobacco and he takes out Derek Luke's most precious heirloom from his father and puts some tobacco in it and rolls it up and then they smoke it. <laughs> and I feel like some, there, there's like a, there's a rosebud quality to that, that it isn't, it isn't the big emotional punch of the film but in a way it is for me that is that is the moment at the end of this movie that kind of says it all the sort of you are nothing you are you are the mission yeah and i don't know if that's again i don't know if this falls into like it's is it aggrandizing this attitude of towards service or is it uh, challenging it. I don't know. I think it's doing both. But Yeah, uh, and I think it also is just kind of showing that what it is. It's just sort of like this is neither good nor bad. This is just what it is. <laughs> it's just sort of like how I feel when watching it. Like, 
it just yeah it just seems like yeah the people really do this stuff uh are they villains or are they just following orders and this is just what their job is and they, that's not a good thing but also like they're not portrayed as like horrible villains necessarily i mean william h macy character i guess kind of is in some of these people that are like trying to intentionally kill this girl but like vel kilmer it gets a complex thing like vel kilmer's character and the people that like tia and derek play like these are complicated people that are also trained to just follow a mission trained to do whatever it takes to get a mission done and there's people that that is their reality um who knows what got him to that point, you know? And certainly Val Kilmer at the end of the movie doesn't seem like it's happy for him because <laughs> the very, very end is sort of him watching this news report of this lie on the TV and some guy, some other kind of businessman is watching it through the window. It's sort of like the, like the, the, the old uh, TV behind the glass. And the guy's like, well, time to go home. And then Bill Kilmer says something like, well, good for you. That must be nice. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that says- must be nice. And then you see that he's actually in another country. Like, it looks like Europe. And he's just like walking off. And now he's going to have to kind of always be in hiding because he knows the truth. And if he comes out, he could totally, he will get taken out because clearly these people don't care. And they'll do whatever it takes to clean up their mess uh, It's interesting. I, I, that's, but, I kind of got some, but, I got it different that he... It felt more like Tom Cruise at the end of Mission Impossible. Like, oh, really? he's still an important, like, now that everything's, like, there's nothing, he, it's all cynical. There's nothing he can do. He still has all the skills. And so I imagined that he was just <laughs> on to the next mission. See, in my mind, it was more like the end of a born identity. Is it felt like, oh, he has to hide out in another country and he's just like, you know, because I think, am I wrong that he has like a little bit of stubble or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, it it, looks like, like, I think maybe you should tap into the saint, buddy. I don't think, you still look like Val Kilmer with the light beard, you know? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that IREC, that all the facial recognition stuff is going to find you. <laughs> That he knows the truth and he can't go back. That he had to like get snuck out of, you know, Dubai or whatever. And like, you know, because if he got back, they know he knows the truth and they would, because like they killed Derek Luke without hesitation uh no, no that's how i read it that he has to forever be in hiding and maybe work for someone else outside of america or the hope is that maybe uh he'll be interviewed by that swedish news team you know he's clearly in europe somewhere well no that swedish week, news team later, didn't it'll... do any like didn't like obviously they were in some way those tape like those tapes were confiscated and well that- you don't know that because this is all pretty quickly happening when she's like the news report is her coming home so like maybe they're sitting on the footage for a week wondering what to do with it or gonna reveal the truth yeah, you don't know i think the hope, the hope uh, is this is a movie the day, they, if that's the what's gonna happen the truth. if that i really feel like the film is telling us that this is never coming out and I'm just curious. Well, let, let, you know, I mean, there's no answer. There's no there's no right answer. We can ask that, you know, if if David Mamet, if you're listening, you have the right answer. You can tell <laughs> us. But short of that, uh, you know, if you're listening and you think, I think that this is an incredibly cynical ending where once the once the story has been manufactured, it doesn't matter what some guy says. And by the way, Val Kilmer doesn't seem like the kind of guy who goes around spilling secrets. No, he wouldn't. Um, on the other hand, maybe you're watching it and you're thinking he is on the outs. He's burned. He's got his burn notice. And now he is heading to Florida to act in that TV series. This, you know, the series, the burn notice. 
Oh, I've never seen it. Yeah. No. I watched the first season. Eh, whatever. Good acting. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, whatever you think. If you're if you're listening and you think you know the answer, you can write to us at contact at the world is wrong podcast <laughs> dot com and you'll listen to what you think. Um, yeah. Address your comments to Brian because I don't know if I you know. Jury's still out on whether or not I'm going to make it. <laughs> Give this movie a chance. It's like it's. This and Red Belt are just really the works of just a really, really, really good filmmaker. One that sadly has stopped making movies because <laughs> I feel like he really hit his stride with 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 Spartan and Red Belt. Like he was really like became one of the great filmmakers, you know, uh, of of in America. And uh, I don't know. I just I hope. The Kennedy thing is good. I hope that it actually gets made. I, I just, yeah, people should take, check these two movies out. They're just great. Like, and even if you don't, if you're not an action movie person or a thriller or political thriller, thriller, it doesn't matter. I feel you can still enjoy these movies just because the writing and acting is just so good. And the only, the only negative of Spartan, no Rebecca Pigeon. You're right. That is a bummer. That is what, who could you, I, I mean, I guess she could have played the Secret Service agent, but maybe that's a little bit too old. Uh, She's taking a break in 2004. And Natasha Nagulich, or Natalia Nagulich, was probably better for the, for the uh, secret, for the madam. Yeah, there probably just wasn't a role for an incredibly charismatic actress like... Uh, Rebecca Pigeon. So, you know, let's just hope. Let's hope there's a great role for her in two days in 1963. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who she would play, but we'll see. The that'll be. I'm really excited for that because I feel like Kennedy's been done and it's been done and it's been done. So it'll be interesting to see what he brings to it that's different. And I know he will. You know, and I feel like, yeah, like what. What is that going to be like? Is it going to all be, is it going to be more like a play or is it going to be more like these movies? Is it going to be like uh, a bunch of people in a room <laughs> or is there going to be, or is it going to be a little more of a, of a, of a, like a Spartan or a, a red belt? We can only hope. I am glad that he's coming out of retirement. I'm guessing we're going to have, it's going to have uh, lots of CGI. <laughs> um, big movie stars, lots of romance. Lots of romance <laughs> and a happy ending. I <laughs> uh, uh, don't think you know David Bennett's work. I think you need to re listen to our Red Belt episode and revisit. Uh, but no, this is fun. It was good to do a little double up on Mammoth, and then now we're going to do a little double up on uh, Kilmer. So I think it's good to do. We're doing this little uh, overlapping. It's fun. I'm excited. And I'm excited to be giving lots of love to Kilmer because he's great. Like we've all recently saw him in the new Top Gun Maverick. And he, that one scene is the most powerful scene in the movie and he's still got it. He's still good. Um, so I'm just, yeah, Val, Val Kilmer will always be near and dear to my heart. Big, big, big fan. Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm crashing. I gotta go. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola, 
Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. So, I did a good job of editing and I cut out a little moment of weakness when we were recording this episode when we were trying to figure out the name of the actress who plays the Secret Service agent who says, that was my daughter. She was the, like, she's the one who really cares mm-hmm. about the kidnapped daughter more than anyone else. And we yeah. couldn't figure out her name. We spent a bunch of time trying to figure out and then we just moved on and didn't say it. But I went back and I watched it. It's such an amazing scene. And it's a little confusing because on IMDb, there's another actress with her name who has significantly more credits, which is easy to do because this actress, Deborah Bartlett, which is also kind of confusing because Bartlett, Jeb Bartlett was the president on the West Wing. So Deborah Mm. Bartlett sounds like she could be a first lady, although I don't think that's the name of the Stockard Channing character. Anyway, the point is there's a lot of reasons, I guess, why it would be hard to remember this actress's name. But the performance she gives in the film means we really should single her out again. Her name is Deborah Bartlett. That is her only role. Hmm. Uh, I've been in over 10 films and several TV series. I've never had a scene as good as that one. That <laughs> if we were if we were giving out an Oscars the year of this movie, I would yeah. definitely give her the most supporting actress award, an Oscar award. Uh, yeah. Because... This is just a banger of one scene and to know that it's the only time she's ever been in a movie. Yeah, I wonder if she's a theater person Must or be. How, yeah, how did Mammoth find her? Yeah. Must be. Yeah, very good. Uh so hmm. Deborah Bartlett, bravo, wherever you are. <laughs> and anything else you wanted to say about Spartan? Are you have you have you had fascist dreams? <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was fun to kind of just visit a filmmaker for two episodes in a row we've never really done that before so to do these two mammoth films and i encourage people to keep going don't stop if you've liked these two movies in these two episodes there's a whole lot more mammoth that he directed that he just wrote like there's a whole world that's just a, it's just great stuff like and i'm excited that he's making a new thing so yeah 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 uh you said one director, a writer-director, just to be clear. Yeah. Not to say yeah. that he's a writer first, although he was a writer first, but uh, I think it's different. Do you feel like there's a, there, that there are different categories, writer-director and director? Yeah, I think so. I think that there's some directors that, you know, are like, they co-author it with the the screenwriter. And I, I find that most directors you read about, like Hitchcock or Michael Bay, where they're not the writers they'll still go through the script and kind of do a rewrite or add their own touch. But that is definitely different. I think than being like Orson Welles coming in with your vision from pen to, you know, from pen on paper to the finished edited. Wow. Film. You know, like that's wow. a different sort of. Wow. 
controversial anti-make take. Oh, boy. He wrote it himself? <laughs> now he just wrote uh, it himself? Well, I mean, he, he co-wrote it or whatever. But, like, he oh, boy, what a, he's your writer-director? He's a writer-director. Orson Welles won Best Screenplay with Mank. Okay. So he wrote about too. the Oscars. I really, I'm I just really, saying. Okay. Did he ever write a film for anyone else? Di- uh, no, I think he only, only wrote his own stuff. With some, with people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, I love Orson Welles as a writer. <laughs> I just, like, I did not know we were going to be going, that this was going to open up this can of worms. But when I think of writer-directors, I think of David Mamet. I think of um, Woody Allen. Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. Like, yeah, people that have like a true authorship, I think. Right. And like Orson Welles lives in his own sort of sphere. But then I think of like, the, like you said, like the Michael Bays. I think of like Steven Spielberg. People who still who, write stuff occasionally. Yeah, they well, they well, like, they're of course like, they're writers. They're also great at lighting. They're also <laughs> like they're what's great about the Kubricks and those types is that they know every aspect of the cinematic process. And so yeah, yeah. they're not going to say wardrobe by Stanley Kubrick, but you know that he knows wardrobe's job as well as yeah. they do and is doing a lot like he's making every creative choice regarding the wardrobe. He has someone who picks a bunch of stuff out and shows it to him. And yeah. so like, and I feel like Orson Welles, they, these are like these sort of master manipulators of the medium, but I don't think of them as writers in the same way. Like Orson Welles isn't working away on a script. He's, he gets a chance for a movie. He's like, I could adapt that novel. And he does that. And he can, because he's awesome. But it's funny you, that he's the guy you went to as a writer. <laughs> I'm like, and all your anti-mank takes you're really just laying it on like now you're making him invisible it's not just just because the movie was terrible doesn't mean that the actual historical figure did not probably write him a a great deal of that script anyway uh wow Send your letters to contact at the world is wrong podcast.com if you want to enter the the mank stakes. Um, okay, well, uh, wow, Brian, what's coming up next? I'm excited. So, we're continuing as we continued with Mammoth, now we're going to continue with Val Kilmer and do The Island of Dr. Moreau, a much maligned. A film with a big behind-the-scenes kind of fiasco story that we'll get into. From so writer-director John Frankenheimer. <laughs> no. no. Just director. Just director. <laughs> Just because you tear up, tear up the script <laughs> doesn't make you a writer. Okay, uh, yeah, but we're looking forward to that. Island of Dr. Moreau, Marlon Brando, Val Kilmer, David Thewlis... Yeah, we'll talk a little Ron bit about Perlman. Richard Stanley and kind of the version he tried to make before Frank Kneimer took over. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of fun, you can have a ton of fun on the World is Wrong podcast uh, website where we have a page for every one of these episodes, www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. Um, 
you can find us on all, not all the social, almost none of the social media platforms, but two. Uh, Instagram, where our handle is at the world is wrong podcast and on Twitter where our handle is at world is wrong pod. Brian pretty much curates the Instagram and I uh, wade through the muck and the mire on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, Come for the fun, stay for the, I don't know, the brain numbing torture of it all. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, so, uh, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and uh, our two our month long celebration of David Mamet. And get ready, do do your research, watch Island of Doctor Moreau, watch all of the versions of Island of Doctor Moreau that you can find. Building up to, of course, the one that we're going to be discussing, the uh, John Frankenheimer directed version. And until next time, just want to remind you that uh, the world is wrong and it's probably wrong about you. What did they tell him? That she was dead. Why? So he'd stop looking for her. Oh, baby. Where are you going? I have to get a lot of running room. Wait! Who will get her back? What? Who will get her back? I did my part. What part was that? They gotta get her back. There is no they. Lady, you are they. I'm just a worker bee. I'm They'll just let a her messenger. Die. Then you go through the mother. I'm her mother. She gave birth to her. I raised her. I'm her mother. Just a little girl. You have to get her back. I have nobody. Nobody ever loved her but me. She's just a little girl. Radio 8 Ball. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8 Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters, providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.